Hi, friends. I want to let everybody know that after a longer delay than I had initially planned, I'm opening up Flourishing at Work in Academia as a year-long renewable membership program for academic folks. The doors open in October 2022, but enrollment is ongoing. Flourishing is a membership because flourishing is a mindset that requires practice. The get it all done in eight weeks boot camp mentality added more rush and pressure for me and for my clients than felt good. And so over the course of a year, each month in the membership, I'll share content and tools on a topic that's relevant to your professional development. And this is not the content that HR and faculty affairs put out. No budgets, banner, tableau, no databases, no scheduling forms, no class schedules. In Flourishing at Work in Academia, we talk about defining success for yourself, creating a vision for your current career stage that's simple and actionable, prioritizing your time and attention on the things that really matter to you, what boundaries actually look like, developing a warm audience for your scholarship, community, trust, and a good mindset for doing the work that you're meant to do in this world. And as a member, you will also get to experience me challenging you a little bit on things like why tracking your time might make sense, why LinkedIn isn't that bad, and what developing a mindfulness practice might look like and what the benefits might be. We'll meet live twice a month, and you can watch the recording if the time doesn't work out for you, and you can watch past recordings if from before your join date. Um, in the first session, I'll offer more content. In the second session of the month, we'll do coaching, Q&A, things like that. This is not a pre-recorded class, but an evolving community of people who want to be well while doing good in the world. I invite you to go to my website and click on Work With Me. And under Group Coaching, you'll find the enrollment link for Flourishing at Work in Academia. The direct link is also in the podcast description on your podcatcher for this episode. You can also email me at jennifer at jenniferaskey.com and I'll get you enrolled and we'll set up your one-on-one onboarding call so that you can chart your path through the year with me. Um, I really look forward to seeing you in the membership because I believe that personal and professional development for academics is pretty much the same thing. So let's join hands and work on that together. Thank you. Welcome to the Mindful Academy podcast with me, Jennifer Askey. I'm a professional certified coach and academic workplace consultant. On this podcast, I talk about doing well personally, so that you can perform well professionally. I talk about intentional career planning and about how to get out of your own way and align yourself with success. Thank you for joining me. Hello and welcome back to the Mindful Academy. I'm Jennifer Askey. I'm an academic coach and I help academics build their most fulfilling lives and careers. And one of the ways I do that is by talking about mindfulness. So um, today in this episode, I want to talk about boundaries. Um, boundaries, it sort of seems like the 
buzzword of the 2020s and saying buzzword makes it sound like I'm diminishing boundaries. I'm not. Um, but there is a lot of talk on social media, like if, on my Instagram, on TikTok, everybody's talking about boundaries and boundary phrases and setting boundaries and all of that. And I think this is a super important conversation. And I want to offer some perspective on boundaries, establishing boundaries, maintaining boundaries when you work in an academic workplace. When your job may be something that you take with you from home to office, from couch to bed, to desk, to car, to train, right? um, You were maybe trained to not have a lot of boundaries around your work. Um, And if you are at, say, a small liberal arts college or in a very intimately sized program, there may be a culture of not having a lot of boundaries between you and your work, between students and professors, between your um, your work life and your personal life. Um, so boundaries are maybe even more important for those of us who are in academic environments. So I'm going to talk about four perspectives on boundaries, four ways to think about boundaries that might be helpful for you. And I have my notes here, so I will glance down every once in a while. So um, the first thing I want to offer you when it comes to thinking about boundaries, like the first place you need to get to in order to establish some boundaries around, say, um, when you answer email, when you hold office hours, how many committees you serve on, how many things you say yes to, when you're actually going to get that report written, whatever it is, right? Um, The first place you need to get to is a real appreciation of your own worth and a profound sense of self-compassion. I coach a lot of people. Um, I've been coaching for six years. And for the last three-ish, two to three years, I have been asking clients at some point in our engagement um, about self-compassion and their level of self-compassion. And nobody says, oh yeah, I got that on lock, (laughs) right? Academia is is the profession for imposter syndrome, which is kind of the opposite of self-compassion, right? Um, And two places that I point people towards when it comes to sort of establishing their baseline of self-compassion right now and working on it. One, and I think I've probably mentioned her on the podcast before, one is the work of Dr. Kristen Neff. Um, She's an educational psychologist at the University of Texas at Austin, and her website is self-compassion.org. And in the resources section of her website, she has a self-compassion quiz that can um, show you where you score on self-compassion. And why this is important is knowing your degree of self-compassion and knowing if it is low, for example, um, hopefully alerts you to the fact that you don't treat yourself with the same gentleness and empathy that you treat other people, that you probably um, exaggerate other people's needs and minimize your own relative to one another, right? And so when we engage in self-compassion practices, and again, Dr. Neff has some self-compassion meditations on her website, the positive intelligence program that some of my clients go through as a whole week where we work on empathy and self-empathy. So there are actual practices you can engage in that build your empathy and your self-compassion muscles. Um, And what we're working towards is the recognition that that 
we are valuable inherently as human beings. Inherent worth and dignity is our birthright. And that our worth and dignity aren't intimately tied to our productivity. And that perfection is not the standard hold ourselves to constantly in all things at all times and for all people. Um, and that you don't have to, and when this comes to boundaries, you don't have to tell yourself you can only set a boundary when you've hit perfection. And I'll I'll bring this down to the concrete level in, um, for a second. In the last couple of weeks, I've talked with at least two clients who um, were talking about the amount of time that marking grading assignments was taking in their week and how frustrating that was for them because the time spent marking is time that you're not developing new course content, working on your own research, sleeping, right? Like it, it, it's it's sort of the necessary work that gets in the way of the great work. And um, so we've had some strategic conversations about what kind of assignments are you giving? How are you grading those assignments? What do you expect students to do with the feedback you give them? Are you grading into a void, right? There are practical strategies around there. There's also ungrading, right? So that's the strategic side of that discussion. The, the self-compassion side of that discussion, the, the where boundaries come in, is recognizing that it is okay to say, I will do this much and not anymore. And that you don't have to tell yourself, well, you can stop once they're all done. Or, well, yeah, it's okay to set a boundary around what I need, but certainly not around this, the feedback that my students get. It's okay to set a boundary around my writing because I need to prioritize um, time given to the department, for example. So being really clear about what happens when you minimize your needs and maximize other people's needs and how that doesn't serve you in the long run. And because you are inherently worthy, inherently lovable, and inherently precious, the constant minimizing of your own needs just demonstrates a lack of self-compassion. Um, you also have the right to restrict access to you, right? You do not need to be available 24-7, and that's okay. And you probably know this, and there are probably areas of your life in which you set these boundaries really well, but there might be other areas of your life where like, well, no, in that particular instance, I can't. So I'll just invite you to explore where, where self-compassion might be part of the solution to helping you set better boundaries for yourself. The second element I want to bring up when it comes to setting boundaries is the notion of clarity. Um, clarity versus apology. Sometimes, and this is probably a speech um, habit that is more feminized or coded feminine than it is coded masculine, but all sorts of people do it all the time, that when you're setting a boundary, you approach it with an apology. Right. I'm sorry to have to tell you this. I know this is disappointing. Oh, excuse me. Could I? Oh, excuse me. But right. That you enter into the conversation um, with an apology or an excuse rather than with clarity. And so here I'm going to reach into the work of um, Dr. Brene Brown, also in Texas. Um, who in her Dare to Lead programming has an entire section on clear is kind. Right. And this really, it, when you dig deeply at it, it gets to the core of so many people pleasing behaviors. Right. That 
the people, okay, if you are socialized female in late 20th century, early 21st century in North America, you are socialized to be a people pleaser. And then there are all sorts of other people pleasers out there of all sorts of gender um, identifications. But people pleasing is a thing that we maybe expect of ourselves. It's, it's maybe a habit that we have engaged in and have been rewarded for if we're female presenting. So, when I say clear is kind, that pushes back against people-pleasing tendencies by, <laughs> this is fascinating. So if I am a people-pleaser and you come to me with a request and I don't really want to say yes, um, but I don't even give myself the luxury of thinking, I don't want to say yes. I just power through and say yes, because that's what I'm trained to do. That's what makes me feel safe and comfortable is to say yes. Um, but I also expect, because I am so attuned to making other people feel comfortable, that they will reciprocate that for me and that they won't overstep, that they will understand that they are maybe asking a lot of me at one particular point in time and that they'll um, me mediate that later, right? by asking less of me. And what I'm doing there subconsciously is kind of expecting people to read my mind, right? That they'll understand the impact that pushing boundaries or assuming I don't have boundaries, the impact that that has on me. But I don't voice it because that seems rude or I voice it, but I, I, I come into it with an apology, right? Which then diminishes the boundary anyway. And if we take Brene Brown's advice to heart here, that clear is kind, then setting that boundary and saying, you know, I really appreciate you reaching out um, and asking for my input on this. Um, I can do that, but please do not expect it until X. Or I'd love to be able to, but that really isn't part of my job here right now. Or whatever the situation is. So it isn't like, oh, how dare you? right? It isn't personal. It's a clear statement of, I will, I won't, here are the reasons, here's the timeline, um, without all of the emotional packaging that makes you feel like you are offering an apology for saying no. So just stating clear expectations, clear rules. This comes um, also when you are dealing with students, with students you might be supervising, with colleagues, if you're in a leadership position, to just say, this is what success looks like, right? This is what I expect to see. This is when I expect to see it. That's not mean, but it is setting a boundary. It's setting a boundary around success and saying, you know, within this box is success. Outside of that box is less success. And within that box, um, here's here are the criteria I'm looking for. So again, you're not asking people to read your mind and you're not couching your expectations in apology in such a way that, that people would have to read your mind in order to really understand what you want. You're giving people around you the information they need in order to be able to collaborate with you successfully, right? You're giving them clarity. And it really is a kind thing to do for yourself and for others. Um, so the third thing I want to bring up when it comes to setting boundaries is, are these expectations for success? Um, so when you are assigning things, whether it's in a committee meeting and people are putting their hands up to volunteer to do work, or whether you're assigning things in a classroom or in a lab, 
Um, you want to negotiate what's being done by whom, what successful looks like, when it's going to be ready, right? Maybe you negotiate what a minimum viable product is. Like, are you okay with a draft? No, I'm not okay with a draft. I expect this. I don't expect that. But you set those expectations out in a clear way. So again, you are not going to go through the work of trying to collaborate with somebody, work cooperatively with somebody, get something that doesn't work for you, and then have to go back to the drawing board. Um, and then you feel like a nag or all of those people-pleasing things that you're trying to resist by setting up boundaries. Um, you engage in those behaviors again because you didn't set up the success boundary to begin with. Um, I said I was going to say four things, but it, it's actually going to be five. I just realized I forgot one on my notes here, but we'll come back to that. So the fourth um, perspective or thought around setting up boundaries in academic work that I want to draw your attention to is your connection to your values. So this is, again, this also pushes a little bit on people-pleasing buttons, right? Because people-pleasing is associated so very clearly with zero boundaries ever, right? So um, getting in touch with your values asks you to look inside, right? Engage in some self-awareness and say, what's really motivating me here? What's going to make me feel good here? What's going to make me feel successful here? And you'll want to know when you're setting up boundaries um, at work, at home, wherever, um, what you're trying to get out of it and what is non-negotiable and what's up for negotiation, right? So if, for example, you have projects at work where the success criteria are up for negotiation, you can have that discussion when you're being clear and setting expectations. And that can be a back and forth negotiation. But maybe there are other things where it really isn't negotiable. Like I do not open my email after five o'clock. Maybe that's non-negotiable for you. Maybe a non-negotiable is um, has to do with your carving out writing time that is sacrosanct. Uh, maybe non-negotiable has to do with your family time um, or your exercise time. Like, what are the the anchors in your life that you do not want to move? And recognizing that maybe you can't have an immovable twenty-four hours all the time, but you, we are all allowed to have things that are non-negotiable. Right. I will not compromise my beliefs, for example. I will not give money to that organization, for example. Um, I will not open my email after five. I will not look at my phone in bed. That should be a non-negotiable for all of us, but it's not. So I'm not even going to go there. Um, so what are your non-negotiables? And then what are the trade-offs, the compromises you might be willing to make? Um, and identify, giving yourself permission, so we circle back to self-compassion at the top of the list, to say, what do I really want my job to look like, my life to look like? What do I want these things to feel like? Where do I recognize the need for better boundaries? How might clarity and expectation setting help, help set up and maintain those boundaries? And where am I willing to be flexible so that my boundaries don't have to be so rigid? Right? But knowing 
what's in it for you and where you're willing to stand incredibly firm and where you're willing to be flexible. That's a conversation that you, you can have with yourself. And it's a gift to yourself to give yourself the opportunity to say, okay, what's really at stake for me here? Um, why do I want better boundaries? What am I going to get out of it? And what am I willing to do in order to get those boundaries? The last thing I want to mention around setting boundaries um, in academic work is this um, kind of playing with the metaphor of boundaries frequently. And even in what I just set up, we think of boundaries as walls that, that keep people out and push people away. The I am not available for, do not come with me, do not come at me with this. No, 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 right? A boundary is a big no. That is, um, I think, the knee-jerk definition of a boundary for a lot of us. And um, a coach supervisor that I work with at Academic Impressions has a beautiful metaphor that to me is also a boundary, and I want to offer it to you. So let's say that setting up a writing schedule is something that you know you need better boundaries around because you are letting other things and people and priorities seep into what should be your sacrosanct writing time and nibble away at its edges until it completely dissolves and you have none because you're so busy you couldn't possibly devote yourself to your writing or your research. Right? It's a common coaching issue that I confront. And the metaphor that I was given that I really like is imagine that your ideas, your research, your passion is a castle. And there's maybe a treasure trove in the castle, but there's definitely you in the castle and you are the Lord or the lady of that castle. And around the castle is a moat. And maybe your moat is filled with koi Maybe it's filled with snapping turtles or alligators or sharks or piranhas. Like you can make that moat as hostile as you want. It doesn't matter because you have the drawbridge, right? And you as Lord or Lady of the castle can elect when to lower the drawbridge and let people in, let commitments in, let tangents in, right? You can choose to let things cross that boundary and come into the castle of your writing, the castle of your ideas. But then there are definite times when you need to pull up the drawbridge, lock that sucker down and say, I am here enclosed in the castle of my ideas, in the castle of my work. And I actually don't have to lower the drawbridge for anybody. I'm lord of this castle. And I like the positivity of this image. It is not just saying, no, 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 go away, stay out. It is keeping something sacred, right? It is protecting something. So boundaries protect us as much as they might push people away. But in thinking about being clear and setting expectations and negotiating success, like it also helps other people and protects them from our disappointment and anger. It protects them from um, scrambling around for how maybe to please us or be successful in a system that we've helped design, right? So we can think about boundaries as both protecting, um, cushioning, surrounding, as well as repelling. So I do invite you to think about how you engage in boundary setting 
or don't engage in boundary setting. And if you had a magic wand, like what are the boundaries that you would instantaneously erect, no questions asked? And where might you need to do some internal negotiate, negotiation and internal trade-offs to say, well, okay, I'm willing to, to be a little looser over here if I can be very rigid with this boundary. Um, and give yourself permission to say, you know, if I treat myself the way that I would treat a dearly loved and admired colleague or friend, what would I want for that dearly admired colleague or friend in terms of their ability to set and maintain boundaries? So those are my thoughts on boundaries for today. Thank you so much for joining us here um, on us, the royal we. I'm the lord of my castle on the Mindful Academy. Um, if you have questions, comments, what have you, please reach out jennifer at jenniferaskey.com or um, in the wide, wide world of social media. Lately, I am on Instagram as coach underscore jennifer underscore Askey. I'm on LinkedIn under my name and on Facebook. Um, I have a group called Energized Academic. Um, you can find me in all of those places. Thank you so much for stopping by. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Mindful Academy podcast. For questions about this episode, suggestions for future episodes, or to request a consultation with me, email me at jennifer at jenniferaskey.com. This episode was recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 lands. The songs included in the intro and outro for this podcast are Heartache by Silent Partner and Piano Store by Jimmy Fontanez of Media Right Productions, both sourced through the audio library. Thank you so much for listening.